When you took over your first program as a head coach, who handed you your first butt whooping? Man, so my first head coaching job was at uh, Fort Bend Marshall, and I had been an assistant um, for about eight years at other schools, and we had had a bunch of success. Um, like out of out of seven out of the eight years, we went to the playoffs, three district championships. Like, you know, I I expected to win. So when I first got to Marshall, the beginning of the season was rough. The first four or five games, and then the fifth game, we went to um, I'll just say an unnamed team in our district, and. Um, <laughs> The score at the end of the game was 18 to 92. Ooh. And I think I think I finished the game with uh, three players on the court because all the rest of my varsity kids had fouled out. Oh, my God. Um, it was a eye-opening experience, to say the least. It always feel like I need one more boy. One more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. One more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. One more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy Alright, welcome back to another brand new episode of the Team Player Podcast We are all the way up to episode number 37 I've got a special guest with me tonight He is the uh, head girls basketball coach at Fort Bend Ridgepoint High School A place that's very near and dear to my heart As one of the original Panthers there in 2010 But please welcome to the show, Coach Michael Vitek Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right, Coach. And if you're if you're a part of the team player movement, please make sure you've given us those five-star reviews. It takes 10 seconds, and it helps us so much. When people search sports podcasts, our show is more likely to pop up. We've already got over 50 of them now, so we're doing a really nice job. So please keep those coming in. If you want to leave a written review, I read new ones on the show. So please leave a written review as well. Hit the follow button, then you can subscribe to the Team Player Podcast, and you'll get the new episode every every Sunday at 2 p.m. in your queue. And I'm your host, James Kobaleski. You can follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. All right, Coach, let's dive into this, man. I I love your story. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of team player first tonight, and your story is very unique. And I love it. I'm here for it. And I cannot wait for our listeners, you know, to, to learn a little bit more about you. But let's let's start from the very beginning, Coach. You grew up in West Columbia, Texas, uh, the Roughnecks, right? Yeah. Home of the Roughnecks, yeah. Home of the Roughnecks. Uh, yeah. Tell us what that was like, Coach. Born and raised down there. Um, but my mom and my dad, two older sisters. Um, going through school, um, I hunted and fished a lot with my dad and, you know, hung out with my friends. And when it came time to be in junior high, I um, – I decided I was going to run track my seventh grade year. And of course I got slotted into the two mile and the mile. Now I, I worked really, really hard and um, it just didn't seem to work out very well for me. I remember one track meet. Um, I was so far behind. They tried to, to pull me off the track. And I, when I was coming through the finish line, everybody was standing up and clapping right. and I hated that. I just, I was like, Oh, don't clap for me. I didn't win. Right. Um, but my, my coach always um, encouraged me. Um, he appreciated my hard work, hard work. Um, and then my eighth grade year running track again, um, he put me on the four by four with like a stack team, like three dudes who went on to play football, ran track in, in college. And we came in 
third. So that was like the only race I ever placed in, in track in seventh and eighth grade. Um, and I, I played football my eighth grade year. Um, I didn't even know the rules of football when we started. Like, yeah. I didn't understand how many guys were supposed to be on the line. Like, I, didn't, I knew nothing. Right. Um, but I ended up being a starter on offense and defense somehow. I don't know how. Um, <laughs> and the guy who was our coach, he had come down from the high school. He was an older guy, old school coach. And I didn't, I didn't really take to his, his coaching very well. He wasn't the most positive. And so from that point on, you know, I really didn't play any sports. Um, I got to high school. Um, I was four foot 11, 86 pounds or 96 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was my athletic career. It's so cool. Honestly speaking, you're our first team player alum. You didn't really, you didn't play high school sports. None. And look at you now. I mean, you're, you're yeah. an extremely successful varsity head coach in a competitive district. And so I love that. And so yeah. for our listeners that always, you know, if you put barriers up in front of yourself and why you can't do this and why you can't do that, they're not necessarily true. A lot of them are artificial. Yeah. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, going back to that experience in seventh and eighth grade, um, when I got to high school, I really got out of my, my shell being involved in theater and student council and all this other stuff. And I told myself when I was in high school, I was like, I'm going to be a teacher and I'm going to, I'm going to coach. And I'm not going to be like that guy was, I'm going to be more like my track coach. Yeah. And um, when I got to, got to college and, decided that I really didn't want to do that um, because I wanted to make some money. Right. Um, so when I came back around, decided to coach and I wanted, I wanted to be positive and I wanted to prove that, you, you know, you could do that. And I actually have done um, an Ironman triathlon and three half Ironman triathlons just to prove to myself like, Hey, I, I probably could have been athletic. You know, you're a late bloomer. I mean, coach yeah. you said 96 pounds. I mean, it's, yeah. some kids are late bloomers uh, that yeah. we, we know that as coaches. I mean, you, you, you were one of those kids. I think I put on 15 or 20 pounds my freshman year of college and grew three inches. Yep. It was, it was Ooh, wild. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, I've told similar stories in the past where, you know, for me, I was always, I was chubby growing up. And so I was stuck on the offensive line as a young football player, <laughs> yeah. you know, put, put, put the little chubster on the O line, you know? And, and, yeah. uh, but then again, when I got to high school, then I thought I thinned out, you know, and I, so people always look at me there and they're like, you played O line now that they see, you know, see me now. And I'm like, yeah, I did. And actually, yeah. again, you know, I, I was fairly good at it. I mean, I got first team all district in, in Fort Bend in 25 a at the time, which is now six a. And I guess what ended up happening, I tell the story all the time. My biggest regret coach, uh, I've told this some of my other episodes is, you know, I played, I played O-line at Austin college, my junior year, I had my best season. And then going into my last year of football, I was just like, you know, I've always wanted to be a tight end. You know, I'm one of those guys. I just always, you know, fat kids like myself on the O-line, we always feel like we want the ball. We want to play tight end, but I felt like I could do it. I mean, I was a guy, I was a kid that I played basketball, you know, yeah. outside of, of football. I'm, I'm hooping with, with the good athletes, you know, and yeah. I, I, I always felt I could do it. Our offense didn't call for a tight end. So my senior year, it just, it, that, that, that desire to move there never materialized yeah and you know it just i don't know i look back on it and i feel like in my head i i put this block that hey i'm too small to be a great offensive line even though i was performing you know and so similar similar to you like you a lot of coaches may say well i didn't play high i didn't play college athletics i didn't play high school athletics i can't coach but how how did you how did you power through maybe some of those doubts that could have crept into your head um you know i i knew that I could be athletic because when I got to AM, like, of course, I had bloomed and I played inter- intramurals, everything. 
so I got a little bit of confidence athletically and then I was doing triathlons and stuff. So the, the athletic part of it came, but, um, when I started coaching, I was notorious for asking questions, man. I would go in and I would just tell the head coach. It was like, when I got hired, they knew I hadn't coached anything before or played anything. And they're like, if you want a job teaching here. And my first uh, teaching and coaching job was at Brackenridge high school in San Antonio. Like you want a job here, you're going to coach volleyball and you're going to coach girls basketball. Um, and so I went into practice and I was like, Hey, I need, I need to know about this, this, and this. Can you tell me about this? This is every day. I just ask questions, ask questions, take notes. I would draw stuff up and it wasn't even really about X's and O's. It was about me motivating the kids to work hard and to do the right thing and to be on time and all those little things that, you know, for life that matter, that make you successful, that also contribute to the team. Um, and Moving from there into Clear Creek, I still just asking questions all the time, um, watching DVDs. Thank God for YouTube. Like, yeah. <laughs> I learned so much. I still, all the time, YouTube. Um, picking other, other college coaches' brains. Um, just being a student of the game. So my vantage point of the game is a lot different than players. Like, I see it differently. Um, even with my assistant coach, like, he played high school. Um, but he also teaches math. So he has a very analytical aspect to it. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of my approach. I, I actually, I actually love that. That's you, you know, again, you, you didn't play high school basketball, so you see it differently than a player. Cause you, you've learned it all from your coaching chair. You, you've learned yeah. it by talking. Oh. And so what, what, are, what do you see specifically? Like when you, when you have these conversations, your players, like what are some of the things that you, you view differently? It's, it's, uh, it's a very simple game. It's all angles. Yeah. Um, you put, you put the ball in the hoop, um, you outscore the other team and you, there's mathematical advantages everywhere. Like yeah, we use, yeah. we use stats like with everything. Um, and we break down how efficient players are in the game and we can change our sub patterns by that. Um, and then just with offense, I don't know. I just try to walk through it and think about what the other team is going to try to take away. And then fundamentally we, we work on those things. But a lot of the things we focus on, though, in practice is just, especially recently, just rebuilding our culture and all the little things, you know, like I said, being on time, dressing out, working out every day, being good teammates. Because at the end of the day, I mean, if you do all those things, you may have a chance to win. But if you don't do those things, we're not going to have a chance at all. And I have been blessed with a lot of talent and and we've done those things. And so our are you saying that you, you actually kind of get some analytics involved at the high school level? Oh, I'm, I'm actually really curious yeah. about this. Can you, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. I don't want to get my secrets away. Well, that's true. Yeah. No. Well, I don't want to give a competitive. Uh, no, advantage, I'm, just right? playing. I'm just playing. Uh, we use huddle <laughs> assist and not plug in for huddle or anything, but they break down all of our game film and they have a lot of, um, a lot of analytical data on there. They'll, they'll break down defensive rebounding position uh, percentages, offensive rebounding percentages. Um, lot, there's lots of different, numbers and there's actually a matrix in there that we kind of look at to see how efficient players are and the equation i show it to the players the equation is like i don't know like a screen long on on the excel sheet and they it breaks it all down for us um we get the kids and my coaches and we do fundraisers so we pay some money for this program yeah um, but every four Bend school has it but we just use it a little bit differently i guess and there, i mean we look at the analytical data a lot and i guess that's one of the other aspects that I use that big time to my advantage. One thing I wanted to ask you about, 
you, you've had, you know, uh, Bobby Darnell was, was a recent episode, uh, you know, and, you know, he, he was the, he's a campus athletic coordinator, head football coach at Clements. Uh, he was named district coach of the year for football this year. And he talked about how at Clements, they have so many students that are very well-rounded and how uh, in their, in their big win over George ranch, like two of their running backs were gone for a band or two of their, two of their offensive players are gone for a band competition. That's awesome. And yep, that's awesome. Right. And so as far as being a well-rounded student athlete, you mentioned to me in, in your in your pre-interview notes that you got really involved in student council uh, when yeah. you're there at Columbia, and you actually really ascended to really high levels. And so yeah. you, you've experienced success at high levels with that. So can you kind of describe to the listeners what, what you experienced there? Yeah. Um, so like I said, coming into high school, you know, I was small. Um, I wasn't necessarily a confident person. And I guess my student council advisor um, saw something in me when I was a freshman, and she encouraged me to, you know, go to summer camps and to, to run for office. And, and one of the summer camps, I really, like, I guess, found myself, you know, I was like, Hey, I can talk to people that I don't know. And I'm, I'm a pretty cool dude too. So through that experience, I mean, all four years in high school in student council, my senior year, I was, I was the president of student council. We ran for state office and, and won the parliamentarian seat. Um, so the girl who was the president the next year got to have that seat and travel all over. I think she went to Hawaii for the summer or something. I was like, man, I missed it by a year. Yeah. But, um, you know, it just that little bit of encouragement from my teacher, my advisor, really um, is another reason why I wanted to be, you know, one of those positive teachers and coaches. And I actually, when I worked at Clear Creek High School, I was a student council advisor for um, when I was the varsity assistant there. I was also the student council advisor. Very cool. So you, you grow up in, in uh, West Columbia, about, you know, a little over an hour southwest of Houston. Yep. You, you have, Close you know, you have, a, you have a great experience there of student council. Now it's time to move on to college. You end up, you start at Wharton County, but then you decide to, you settle on Texas A&M University. I didn't yeah. settle on Texas A&M. Well, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, no, definitely not settling, but you, you decide on, you, you commit yourself to Texas A&M University. And I know you, you've described to me that you, you're, you mean, you, you don't like the Aggies. I mean, you are an Aggie. Yeah. And, I tell, I tell people yeah. that all the time, like, oh, that. You're an Aggie fan. I'm like, I'm not an Aggie fan, man. I went to AM. I'm an Aggie. Yeah. This ring right here, I will be buried with this ring. It's mine. I earned it. Yeah. Barely. Barely. <laughs> but I earned it. And AM was a great experience. You know, um, going there, like I said, I grew some. I joined a fraternity, played um, fraternity league, everything. Um, scored some touchdowns in seven on seven flag. Yeah. Uh, you know, scored 18 points in a basketball game. Granted, it was like the C League against some guys who were not in very good shape, but it was a team high, season high. Scored some co a couple goals in soccer. Actually, my first soccer goal I ever scored in fraternity league. I swung with my right foot and missed the ball and planted with my left foot, and it hit it the opposite way, and it went in the, in the goal. And I circled, I circled the entire field. That's some Pele stuff. <laughs> That's some trick shots, man. I love I it. I fell over after I hit it in. I was like, did that go in? Circle the whole field, like laid out. And they're like, dude, we're losing like 10 to one right now because we only have five guys here. I'm like, it's okay. I scored. <laughs> it was hilarious. Oh, um, man. I love it. I love it. I love it. And then one other interesting thing is you're just a man of many talents. So, I'll, you know, you, you mentioned the student council. You, you also, I, I think you might have very briefly mentioned this, but you're in one act play for theater your senior year. Yeah, I did. I got I cast in one act play. I had like 11 lines. But I was in it. it. It was cool. Yeah. You yeah. surfed. You skated. Yeah. You hunt and fish. You're, you're living the, the country boy dream down there uh, in West yeah. Columbia. I also played bass guitar in a rock band. Yeah. The, the guys I played music with, um, 
back in the day, they they both have college degrees, and but they live in New Braunfels and they own a music studio, and but they still play music for a living. Like they they travel around. They have wives and kids at home, but they travel all around the state playing music, trying to make it big. And what was it? I mean, I don't know. I know your love for AM is is undying, you know, but what was is it, is it just always been that way? So for you, it was a no brainer, or did you have other choices? What, how did you narrow it down to decide to go to so, College Station? Growing up, um, my mom's best friend lived in College Station. She was a state farm insurance agency, or had a state farm insurance agency there for years, and they actually they still live there. So in the summertime, we would go visit them, and as we got older, um, you know, we went to a couple AM games, and originally, like when I was like, 10 I was like I'm gonna be an architect because we had been to AM for like some visiting campus and I saw the architecture center I was like oh that would be cool but just growing up that kind of went away but it was just a place that I always that's where I wanted to go I tell my mom still to this day when I pull into college station I'm like I feel like I'm home absolutely it, just, it feels home and I, I mean I was only there for three years but it's still every time I go back it's just you know has a special place in my heart I guess it's you know growing up even more coming from junior college and the struggle with the classes there and then just being a part of the 12th man, like yeah. didn't miss a football game for three years, but maybe one I was on the first row when AM beat OU back in the day when Reggie McNeil was there. Yeah. And just had a, had a really, had a great experience there. And I want to talk about, you know, I always keep the stats of set about 70% of my coaches when they were, when they entered college, they did not know that they wanted to be a coach. They found it later on. And, you, you told your story that initially you wanted to coach, but then you drifted away from it. And so you actually yeah. started working in the private sector after a and And it says here you, you did a variety of jobs uh, to pay the bills. You tried to sell insurance, which I know it can be difficult not, at times not there. The smartest, you, not, yep, not, you, not the smartest idea. <laughs> you pushed carts and was a checker at HEB. I did that same job as well uh, yeah. you know, for a time. There, so I, I feel you there. That, that's not easy in the summertime here in Houston. And you also, then you moved on to a manager at Luby's. You really yeah. were, you were, you're progressing there, but, you work at 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. So when I got the job there, they're like, it's four days on, one day, or four days on, one day off. No, that's not right. Four days on, two days off a week. Well, when you add four to two, that's only six. So there's right. still a seventh day. So it starts over. I didn't get that. Yeah. And they're like, well, you work open to close. And I was like, well, that's no big deal. But I mean, the managers there work hard. I mean, I worked hard, open the close, four days on, two days off. And after about, eight or nine months, I, um, I went, had a meeting with my regional manager and my GM and they're like, well, we're going to offer you an associate uh, manager position. I was like, okay. And they're like, you're going to be the youngest general manager in, in the history of, of the, of the store. Like, actually, um, here, here's my two weeks notice. I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to be a teacher. And they were like, Oh, okay. Are you sure? I was like, yeah. So from that point, um, I got a job selling restaurant equipment there in San Antonio and, and went back to school and got my alternative certification. Um, and that next, that next school year, I think I was hired at Brackenridge, like August, like now, like August 10th, August 12th, and then school started. Like I didn't even go to new teacher orientation because I was coaching volleyball. So I didn't learn any of the uh, online grade book stuff. I didn't know how to yeah. take attendance. Like my first day in a classroom was my first day in the classroom because I got an emergency certification. <laughs> so like I'm walking in teaching world history, like the PowerPoint, I've been over the night before, like I know what's going on, but walking in with these kids, 24 years old, they're coming in is bigger than I am. And I'm like, oh man, this is going to be tough. Yeah. And then coaching volleyball, you know, no, no real experience playing volleyball, it's like beach, you know, at the rec center or something. Yeah. And 
just I had some really a really good volleyball coach who helped let me let me do stuff and taught me stuff. Um, and then with basketball, the same way, you know, I worked for some really, really good head coaches that, who allowed me to do stuff. They really, so, they really did. Yeah, no, and so you, you mentioned kind of a little bit about it. You, you started at Breckenridge High School in San Antonio where the freshman mm-hmm. A-team girls basketball, freshman A-team volleyball, which you described yeah. there. But by year two, you quickly moved to JV and varsity assistant of both sports. So that's, that's a pretty quick jump. So obviously you were impressing, I guess, your coaches there from year one to two. Yeah, I was I was good with the camera. I could take the stats on the Palm Pilot. It was a yeah. Palm Pilot back in the day. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think it was me just wanting wanting to learn, especially with basketball. The volleyball, you know, two years at Brackenridge after that, I gave that up. But with the basketball, like, it was me and the head coach. And I traveled with the varsity. And we won. they won, like, 33 games that year. Wow. And I was just soaking it all up. You know, we I think we started – my first year there on varsity, I think you started three freshmen, two sophomores and a junior, something like that. So it's a young team. I, they related to me. Um, I always made them run if they, they were acting up in the hallways and stuff. So I really connected with those kids. Still keep up with them today. And um, it, was, it, was a, it was a fun ride there in, in San Antonio. I missed that place a lot. And then after that, you, you you come back to the Houston area and you uh, went to Clear Creek High School in League City as a freshman girls basketball coach and an assistant track coach. So I'm, I'm curious, what – what, what led you to, to, to come back close? Was it just wanting to be closer to home or was there, were there yeah. other factors? Just being closer to home with my family. You know, I, my two older sisters, I had nieces now at that point in time. They actually just, my, my two twin nieces actually just moved into A&M yesterday. So awesome. that was, Congratulations. this is year 17 of me teaching. So that, that tells you that time frame. And, you know, growing up, I, I was always serving and fishing. And so I want to be closer to the water. Even now, living in, in Siena Plantation, I still feel like I'm too far from the water. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I yeah. bet. So then by by year three uh, at at Clear Creek, you're able to move up to the JV and varsity assistant position. So, again, that same it, – it's kind of a tried and true method here for VTech. You know, you, you yeah. quickly get in, you quickly move up the ladder, yeah. and you end up staying there for six years. So yeah. anything else that you want to just talk about that from that Clear Creek portion of your career that, yeah. that really formed you? I fell in love with the game of basketball at Clear Creek. Um, the head, head coach I worked for was Janet Williams. Um, she's the assistant athletic director, I believe, in Kingwood now. And, again, she just – she really encouraged me. She answered my questions. Um, anybody um, in our program, the, the JV coach that was there when I was a freshman coach, you know, I would ask her. She would get sick of me asking her questions, and she still she still would answer them. I still call her today. I'm like, hey, what about this? Remember that defense we ran back in the day? Her, her husband is a basketball coach, too. I'm like, can you ask Chris about this? She's yeah. like, yeah, I have to email you back. And like, she just allowed me to do stuff. I remember um, my, after my first year in the off season, I, I went to her and I don't even know why I thought of this. I was like, Coach Williams, can I um can I run varsity practice this week and you sit in there and not say anything and just evaluate me? And then at the end of the week, we can sit down and talk. And she was like, yeah, that's a great idea. That's cool. It's like, okay, I, I have no idea why I even thought of that. But I did. And so she allowed me to do so much, you know, whatever defense I wanted to run or offense, she would – I would draw it up on the board. She's like, sounds good to me. Let's do it. And it, it led to a lot of success. This six years I was there, I think we went to the playoffs five times, two district championships, one undefeated season, regional quarterfinals. But we always had a face up against Clear Springs. And that's when, uh, of course, Pam Crawford just retired from Clear Springs, set over 700 wins. And she had McDonald's All-American, Brooke McCarty at that time. So we ran into a buzzsaw in the regional quarterfinals that year. 
Yeah, you, you, it's a bit really a murderer's row when you're when you're advancing that that far. You've come across a lot of big names. You list you listed Coach Crawford over over seven hundred wins. I love that yeah. you were her seven hundredth win. Seven hundredth win. I was I was glad that she got her seven hundredth win, but I did not want it to be me. Yeah. I mean, when I was at when I was at Creek, I think we beat them twice out of the six years I was there, and then we we played them in the regional uh, semifinal when we made it to the regional semifinal two three years ago. And they beat us by two or three. And now we go to the, her place last year for her last season. And her 700th win is me. I was like, I'm glad you got it. Gave her a hug after the game. And I was like, I didn't want it to be me. She's like, yeah. I know, VTech. It's okay. She, that, she's a wonderful lady. Great person. Great coach. Um, but, uh, yeah, her, um, uh, Coach Campbell from North Shore, you know, yep. she's been super successful. She's made multiple runs uh, to the state tournament. Um who else? Uh, you, listed, you listed Coach Campbell over 500 wins. You said Ann Rubik from Cypher. Ann Rubik at Cypher, yeah. She's, um, she's, a, she's a great coach. And when I was at Creek, she had the Bumake sisters. Yeah. Um, who now who both went to Stanford and one's on ESPN, and they both play in the WNBA. And yeah. I have a picture somewhere in my files of them at the, on the jump ball against our girl who was like 5'6", and I don't know if it was Nekita or Cheney, and she's like 6'3". And yeah. it was just a classic picture. I always like to watch Ann coach. She's an intense, intense person. She's been doing it for a long time. I love that. And so, you know, you, you eventually, you, you, you strike out on your own for the first time. You take over at Fort Ben Marshall. So a question I always like to ask, you know, I've been a head coach before, you know, two years head coach at Aldean. And as when we're assistants, you know, we always feel like we're ready. We're ready for yeah. that. But then yeah. In my opinion, I've had a couple of coaches echo the sentiment. You never really are truly ready. You don't know until you sit in that seat yeah. <laughs> what's going to happen. So I'm curious for you, man. What, what, what was your when did you when did you know that you were ready, or when did you think you were ready? And then what was it like stepping into that role? I did not know I was ready. Um, it was August of um, whatever year that was, nine years ago, and I got a random phone call. Hey, um, we have an opening at at Fort Ben Marshall, and we we got your name. Somebody referred to you. Are you interested? And I was like, I need to think about if I even want to go to this interview. It's, it was August like third or something. Yeah. And so I called my head coach, um, coach Williams. And I was like, you know, I got this call. And she's like, you're going to go to the interview. Aren't you? I was like, I don't know. She's like, what are you afraid of? Like, it's no big, like, go do it. You're ready. I was like, yeah. ah, I don't know. So I went and um, I got the job. Actually got the call that I got the job the next week and I was in Vegas at the Bellagio and I was in my room and my cell phone, it was 3G iPhone. It kept cutting in and out. So I didn't know if I got the job or if they were telling me I didn't get the job. I was sprinting <laughs> through the hallway, sprinting through the lobby. And I was talking to coach Williams. He was like, why are you breathing heavy? I was like, sorry. I just, I was just on the 11th floor of the Bellagio. He's like, Oh, well, congratulations. I was like, for what? It's like, you got, you know, you got the job here at Marshall. I was like, Oh, okay, cool. That's and like just, those Tom Brady commercials, you know, where it's he's talking to Gronk and it's breaking up, and he's like, "We're retiring." Yeah, this stock. <laughs> well, so then you mentioned, yeah, so you you worked for James Williams, you know, who's a yeah, a good friend it. of mine, somebody that I highly respect. So just can, tell our listeners, you know, because I mean, he's he's a, someone I admire a lot. Like, what what was it like working under his leadership? He gave me my first shot as a head coach, and you know, he um he always had my back. He was at the majority of our games. Yeah, he was in the corner. You know, my, my first year there, we struggled a lot, but we had a lot of kids involved. Um, my second year, uh, we made the playoffs for the for the first time in five years at previous years they hadn't yeah. made it. Um, when we were eight and four, we lost in double overtime to Calhoun. 
I think we lost like four games in double overtime that year. Um, I was for Ben Asty, coach of the year for girls basketball that year. That's and awesome. um, he was just always supportive, whatever, whatever needed. Um, any questions I had, you know, he was, he was there. He's a great man, a great leader, a great leader of young men for sure. You know, so you, I, you, you're, looks like you're starting to turn it around at Marshall. And I, I, I know, at least I feel this way that it's so hard to turn around a program that's been losing. Like yeah. I, I give all the credit to people that win state championships and have great seasons by all means, they get, they deserve credit. But I think sometimes we overlook the people that take a team, you know, from eighth in the standings up, up to fourth, that's extremely hard to do. Yeah. But what was it, what was it led you to, to, to switch over to Ridgepoint? Like what were some of the d- dynamics describing uh, surrounding that decision? You know, um, the program itself had hadn't had a lot of success um, in those previous years, but when um, Coach Hill was here, they had um, some success, and I knew that there was going to be a, a lot of talent coming. Mm-hmm. And um, just overall, the first time I came to Ridgepoint for a um, in service, it just it felt like home. Um, my wife was uh, we were expecting a baby, we we're going to buy a house. And so I was like, if I'm going to be a head coach somewhere, I want to work and live close, you know, in, sure. the, in the same area. I was commuting. I was commuting from Katy at the time, I'm throwing coins every day. Uh, I was like, yeah. we're going to buy a house over here. And if I get this job over here at Ridgepoint, you know, uh, I think we're going to move to Siena. Daryl Hill is who, you, you know, Coach Hill you're referring yeah. to there. So Hill, yeah. I have the I have the pleasure of, I've, you know, I was at Ridgepoint from 2010 to 2015. And you're right. I mean, there's been talent that's come through, but for whatever reason, as all the other sports started this high trajectory, like football, yep. take, everybody was taken off for whatever reason, girls basketball just could never quite get over the hump. I, I was on the staff under coach Kubasek is another one of your predecessors. Yeah, Kube, know you know, Kube. Yeah. So Kube yeah. was a good guy. I mean, we, we had several, we had many coaches. There, there was very little consistency. So you're right. I mean, there's a lot of short stints of various head coaches who were all talented in their own right. It just, for whatever reason, their secret sauce wasn't working. Yeah. And so, you know, what, when, when you got there, when, what year did you begin? So this is year seven. So six years ago. Um, can't even do the math right now. Uh, whatever. So wait, that was maybe what, uh, 2014? That sounds right. 2014. Oh, that's probably when I was, that's about when I was leaving. Cause I know we yeah. kind of, cro- we, we crossed like ships in the night there. We kind of missed yeah. each other a little bit, but uh, you've been here. We've had one coach for Ridgepoint over the past six years. In their first four years, I think it was four separate head coaches. I was the fifth, yeah. So, so there was, I mean, there was no consistency. Yeah. And it's no fault of anyone, but the program suffered there, you know. And Daryl was a great guy. Whenever he was going to be, when he decided he was going to go, he called me. He's like, hey, I'm about to, I'm about to be gone. So you need to, uh, you need to, you need to apply. Okay. And we had played Ridgepoint, you know, all the previous years. So I knew what was here and I knew, I kind of knew the program because I knew Daryl pretty well so it was just it seemed like a good fit and so did you I guess at this time you you interviewed a, a for another fellow team player podcast alum and my mentor Brett Sniffen so what was yep. that interview like Brett's a unique guy you know? <laughs> he, um, I, love, I love him and miss him yeah uh, but he's just he he's a unique person he's a unique personality you know your eyes are dotted and your T's are crossed and you're doing what you're supposed to. And that dude will go to battle for you for sure. Amen. Yeah, it's true. He, he will. And he'll support you in every single way. Um, I remember my, my first year here at Ridgepoint, we were playing Travis and they were ranked and we were down, you know, four or five with 
minutes ago. We came back and hit a buzzer beater to win. And it was like, it was a big deal. It was our first ranked team to beat. Um, and I didn't know Brett was there. And he came like running into the gym and like picked me up and squeezed. He's like, I'm proud of you, man. I was like, awesome. oh, this is awesome. It was, um, it was, it was, that was a great week. We beat Travis on a buzzer beater on a Tuesday and then turn around and beat Dallas on a buzzer beater on Friday. And so like, it was rolling. We had a, my first year was, it was exciting. We had a lot of, a lot of moments like that. Man, that, that's so cool. And I, I mean, I, I know that because I wasn't, I was, I did coach girls basketball for one year. So some of my JV girls probably, I guess, played for probably. you, you know? Yeah. And, and so, yeah, that, that, that's pretty cool. But I know that Brett took a lot of care in the girls basketball program and that Brett Sniffen was one of those coaches. He wasn't just a football coach. He really did wear his athletic coordinator hat proudly. And I know that was something that, that he made a mission to, to get, to get girls basketball on par with the rest of the programs. And yeah. I, so I think that that definitely the reason, you know, the reason he reacted like that, because it had been years in the making that he wanted to see a victory like that. And yeah. you were, you were the person to finally kind of get Ridgepoint girls hoops over the top there. So, you know, so, so kudos to you, but once, once you got it going there, you did your initial evaluation. I know you said, you know, you felt like the program was in good shape from what you inherited from Daryl, but like there still was work to be done. And I'm, I'm yeah. curious for coaches that listen, when you take a program that's been perennially, let's just say underachieving, I guess is maybe how we could describe it. What do you do as a coach? To, to to address a perennially underachieving program and then take them to where you've taken playoff appearance after playoff appearance? You know, like with this situation um, here, um, even in year one and two, we had, we had some success, but it really went back on building relationships with the kids, you know, letting them know that you're here, not just for basketball, even though it's important because we're spending so much time doing this, but there's other things outside of the sport and to encourage them, you know, None of, not, I'm not saying none, but the players that I coach are super talented. We've had lots of scholarships, but basketball is not their career future. It could be for some of them, but it's not for the majority. I'd say for 99%, um, they're going to go on to do something else and just teaching them all those other things about life while still doing all the basketball stuff and just getting to know them, putting in the time and then just building a culture, you know, um, it took me probably, I was a head coach at Marshall for three years. And then here at Rich Point, it probably took another two for me to really sit down and like write that stuff out. And this is what we stand for. And this is what we want to do. And just going to clinics and talking to people about how you, how you establish that. And even, even going until this year, you know, we, we went back two off seasons ago and I sat down with the kids and I was like, I don't like what, what's going on. I don't like the way we're doing things. And they're like, really? I was like, I'd be like, we just won two district championships two years in a row and went to the regional semifinals. Like, I don't like the way it is. It doesn't feel, doesn't feel right. And yeah. so we really sat down. I was like, what do, what do we stand for? What do you guys stand for? What do you, what do you want to be known as? And so we came up with some stuff and we wrote it down and we said we were going to do it. And we really committed to it last year. You know, we didn't have as a successful season last year on the court, but we were in a, we were in a spot to make the playoffs. We had a playing game against Elkins and didn't, didn't pull it out, but, we would have never been in that spot if the kids hadn't committed to the process and the culture. Like it was, it was a lot of fun coaching last year, even though we weren't as successful. It was, it was fun. And the kids worked hard. They were great teammates. I, I tell all the kids that all the time, you got to be the best teammate on and off the court, best player on the bench, best player on the court. And my, my players who are in college now, still texting that all the time. You got to You got to be positive. I stole from Gary Blair back in the day um, when they won their national championship. He used to always get his expo and, draw a plus on his hand right before the game and they would always zoom in on it 
And he's like, well, now's not the time in the game. It's not the time to be negative because we can't fix anything now. You got to go through it. So I still try to remember to put the positive on my hand. Sometimes it's a negative by the end of the game. but. <laughs> and who was that again, Coach, that you said? Gary Blair from AM. Gary Blair, Texas A&M. A&M. Yep. Okay. Oh, Gary Blair. And was, was that your first Was that your first time at Ridgepoint missing out on the playoffs? Um. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, year six, yeah, that was the first time missing out. That's that's pretty incredible. And I, one of our other team player alums, Masaki Matsumoto, he, he had an interesting quote that I really liked that he said, he said basically – it's easier to take over a losing program than a yeah. winning program. Yeah. And kind of for you, I mean, I, I would say Rich Point was a very pedestrian, maybe they, they lower. Yeah, Daryl took him to the playoffs. So they did had they? Dan. So they, they did. did. Okay. So I, I wasn't but, sure on the timing. So Daryl did take the first ever team to the playoffs. Yep. His second year, they went to the playoffs. They played George Ranch. That's right. Okay. That's right. So you, you so I'd say you would, you did take over a good program then, but yeah. you're able to kind of, you took him to the levels where they're undefeated through district and some of those, yeah. you had a couple of those years. But then yep. now, for your first time after all those back-to-back district championships, like your girls are talking about, now you you miss out on the playoffs. It's so hard to stay on top. Yeah. So talk to that about us for coaches. You know, you you, you did the work, you, you climbed to the top of the mountain, but it's hard to stay at the top of the mountain. So what yeah. what, what what can you what, what what advice and knowledge can you can you give us for that situation? So, with years of experience and hearing everyone else say this a million times, but you never really know that you have to do it until you have to do it. Like every year is a new year. Every team is a new team, even even if you're getting kids back. Like if you're returning eight or nine of 12, or it doesn't matter. Every year you're starting over. And yeah, the framework of your culture is there and they know the words. But if you're not, and I'm notoriously bad about being consistent with stuff. And so if you don't consistently do your culture, then it's not who you are. And it's not, you're not going to be successful. You know, every year we have new kids coming in. Like last year we had 16 freshmen. They didn't know that when we walked to the bus and we get off the bus that you don't wear earbuds. I just, and then years past, I would just expect them to know because someone should have told them, well, that someone's me. This, right. is, this is my program. It's our program, but it's my program. And so going back to those fundamental things of teaching, this is how we do things. This is the way we're going to do things. And being consistent with what you stand for and what you want to, who you are. And as a, as a younger head coach, um, I didn't realize that for some reason, even though I'd heard a million people say it. I mean, watching hours and hours of Nick Saban talking about the process and Gino talking about, that's, I'll bench him. I don't care. What do you, we have another McDonald's All-American. Um, but the on-court stuff doesn't, it matters, but it doesn't matter as much as how we do things and what we do. Absolutely. And, you know, another team player podcast alum is Quisha Dickerson. You know, she was uh, a 26 set. Yeah, you love Quisha, mm-hmm. absolutely. <laughs> I do too. She, she was a great episode. I don't know if you got to check it out yet, but you know, she, she's the head girls basketball coach at Fort Bend Austin, my alma mater. And I think you and I would probably both agree. Austin, similar to, or more so than, than Ridge points early pass. Austin really was due, typically towards the bottom of the standings yeah. historically in girls basketball. And Quisha told the story of whenever she went to go visit Sartarsha middle school and she asked the kids, Hey, it's my first year here. You're not going to hurt my feelings. You know, I wasn't a part of any of this. What do you think about Austin athletics? And the kids were kind of like, oh, they were hesitant. And they said, tell me, you know, I'm new here. Just tell me what you think. And she goes, they're not very good at sports. That's what the kid, that's what the kids said to her. And so, but my point, my point being, look at them this year. Yeah, they win the district great. championship, right? And so, you know, there's always somebody at the bottom of the ladder, at the bottom of the standings that's gunning for your spot. And, you know, and it, it's, it's so hard and it's so competitive. And there's so many great coaches out there. So what's your feeling coming into the next season? I mean, you, you've been at the top of the mountain. 
you you sounds like you had a little bit of a step down this year. You missed out the playoffs for the first time, but it sounded like from what I'm hearing and coaches have all been a part of this, a team that underachieves as far as maybe what people see as a win and loss, but we yeah. as coaches know it was actually a great season because yeah. the kids were doing things the right way. It was a lot of yeah. fun to coach. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm feeling like you have positive momentum going into next year. Like kind of what, 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 were, we, what were you telling the kids all off season now into the summertime and getting ready for this next campaign? What, what's, what's the feel of Ridgepoint girls basketball? You know, we, we were really young this year. You know, I started two freshmen on varsity this whole past year. Yeah. Um, two freshmen, a sophomore, junior, and senior. Um, and they, the older kids, you know, had seen our success. And the younger kids, you know, it was brand new. They had never, never really played their 30 games in. They, they know what it takes, you know. And we, we beat some teams in district the second time around that beat us the first time mm-hmm. by, they beat us the first time by a substantial amount. And the second time we beat them, like we beat, uh, George Ranch the second time around. We beat Bush the second time around. And we had lost to them. And Travis, we had lost to them in the first round. So I, you could see growth in the kids. And then just in the offseason and then committing every day to coming and working, um, coming to open gym this summer, we had, you know, a good amount of kids. And then with our younger kids coming in, we have a, we have a good freshman class coming in. One so last I'm, thing. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just saying, just some kids who have been around our program and they they can play. You know, one last thing I want to address, because you mentioned kind of like holding that standard of the earbuds example and little things that, you know, yeah. when things are going good, it's easy to kind of like, I've been there when Ridgepoint was rocking and rolling. So Sometimes easy. like things are going so good. You're just, you're living in the moment and you're, you're, you're not noticing some of the little things I, I, yeah. I, I can totally relate coach, but I, yeah. I go back to another team player podcast alum, uh, James Gage. He's a head, head football coach at Alvin. Yeah. And he uh, talked James. about when he was an assistant. And I, I'm not saying that your assistants were not doing this, but James was talking about when, when he was an assistant, his thought process was always, what can I do to make it easier for the, for the head man or woman? You know, what, what, what can I, what can I do to help the head coach? And in my opinion, good assistants are the kind of those keepers of the culture, you know? Yeah. And so when the head coach is worried about schedules and you said dotting your T's and crossing your I's and turning in PAP, all that kind of administrative stuff, all I feel like stuff. a good assistant should be the person watching as a guardian of all, some of those things that you're talking about so i'm i'm curious as for all the coaches that are listening you've been a head coach for a long time now what advice would you give to assistant coaches that are listening to this podcast how can they be the best assistant that they can to help the program i like this this question yeah okay. um, and i have a actually i have a really good assistant who's been with me here for six years and awesome. i don't even call him i don't call him an assistant he's the assistant head coach not jv coach but, absolutely um and when i was when i was an assistant coach too um you know have some initiative and do things without having to be told to do them. And if there's nothing to do, ask because there's always something to do. Like there's always stuff to do. I mean, I saw we have so much stuff to do for my to-do list from last year that I didn't do this summer because I I slept in every day this summer. (laughs) Um, Take some initiative, ask questions. Um, Even if you're not required to go to the varsity practice, go to the varsity practice, be involved you know, build relationships with the, with the kids um, who aren't on your team, who are on the other teams that you're not coaching. Um, loyalty is a huge deal to me. You know, um, you, you never want to stab the head coach in the back or question their, their decisions. Um, the good thing about with me and my assistant, we, we talk about everything. Like, you know, if we're going to run this defense this year, or if we're going to play all zone or all man, or we'll talk back and forth. And sometimes he'll tell me straight up, like, I don't agree with your opinion, but I mean, I'm going to support you, but that's not what I think we should do. And I'm like, that's the same thing with him. I'm like, Hey, we're going to do this because you suggested it. I just, I just don't know. 
but we're going to try it. He's like, okay, let's, let's just do it. And I'm open to that. And I feel like you have to have a good relationship with your head coach to be able to do that. So like when I was at Cricket as an assistant, this is a good story. Um, we played man all year long and we ran a one, two, and one. When we were going to the playoffs with we a four seed. And I was like, we need to run a two, three zone. We need to run Syracuse's two, three zone. We'll practice it the whole second half of the district. We'll make the playoffs and we're going to throw it out in the game. When they come to scout us, we're, we're not, we're not going to run it. And we're only going to do it during the game. So we made the playoffs through the four. Played the one, we threw out the Syracuse 2-3, and we ended up winning by 10. Like, sh shocker. And we won that game, won the next one as a four seed. Um, and just her being able to say, hey, I trust you. Yeah. Because she knew I had done my research. So, you know, yeah, just investing in, your, in the program, buying in, being there. I love that. I love that you talk about kind of the game planning before the game. I like to talk about the, the no, no backstabbing, you know, supporting in the tough times. And yeah. it reminds me of a story, another team player podcast alum, Jason Campbell. I don't know if you've met him, but he's the head boys basketball coach at Northbrook in spring branch ISD. Now he's been there for a decade with well, this. Is what I love because Northbrook has historically been towards the bottom of the standings each and every year. And, but he's been there for a decade. And I love it when I see these schools that are underperforming because a lot of times they have so much turnover, like we talked yeah. about, but they're lucky. They've had a great coach like Campbell stick with them. Anyhow, mm -hmm. you may not have to do this because you know, you, you guys have been really good at Ridgepoint, but you know, sometimes teams that are, struggle to win once one strategy you can do in texas high school basketball there's no shot clock and so yeah. those teams can go four corners and they can hold the ball you do it you can do it and so mm -hmm. they were playing their rival memorial and that was what the coach had agreed upon during their game plan he said hey our only chance to win this is limit possessions we're going to play stall ball we're going to go four corners we're going to hold I love it. it i love it you love it right yeah good and it's the right move yeah well as you can imagine, though, Coach, you know, you've been in a basketball gym. Sometimes you can hear everything. Ooh, in there. What are you doing? Exactly. People are booing. The kids are saying, come on, Coach, let us hoop, let us hoop. And at that moment, you know, Coach Campbell told the story of his assistant said, hey, Coach, come on, let him hoop. And the, the assistant kind of pushed Coach Campbell to let him go play. As soon as they did that, bing, 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 up and down, Memorial 10-0 yep. run. Yep. And that's that to me, that's kind of the moment where Coach Campbell needed an assistant to just say, I got you, Coach, and just say, Stick to the script. I do it. Yep. I don't know if you worked with Terrence Plowden at all, but he was my he was the head boys basketball coach when I was an yep. assistant. I, I was assistant for both boys and girls at various times. One of his best sayings I always remember was "Stick to the script," and yep. I always took that with me. And I, I believe in that. Like uh, you guys I worked long hours that. on the weekend, right? For a reason. Yeah. That was the best way for Northbrook to beat Memorial. So, any thoughts on that story that I shared with you? Have you ever been in some a similar situation, or does that bring up a story that you can kind of relate to that? Yeah. Um. You know, we we play stall ball too even when they really had, we we'll, we'll try to run the clock out at yeah, okay. in the quarters and stuff yeah um and we practiced it and when we had our, our really talented crew two or three years ago when we were able to run two or three minutes off at the end of each quarter like we're gonna hold it um and we're and we're gonna shoot a three at the buzzer and we're gonna make it and we're gonna yeah. make this run yeah um and i like it i mean because yeah. you really have to you have to stick to it no matter what what people are saying um when i was at clear creek on the girls' side, I went to one of the boys' games. And our the boys' coach at Clear Creek at the time, he did the same thing. The score at halftime was like six to eight. The score at the end of the third quarter was like 10 to eight. Yeah. And then at the end of the game, I don't know, they ended up losing by two. I think it was less than 20 points. But he had – Creek had the last shot, and it was a three-point shot with his best three-point shooter who was over 40% shooter. And he was like, I'm fine with that. We, we executed our game plan. He just missed the shot. Like, we did everything right. Just the ball doesn't go in sometimes. Sure. 
and you can game plan and game plan and game plan. And like TP used to say, stick to the script. And if the script doesn't work, then you go back and you rework sure. the script next time. Plan the work, work the plan. Yeah, I mean that's that's what you got to do. Um, but I, I back to the stall ball. I love to watch um, different sets to run the clock out. Like I'm, it intrigues me. Like this yeah. is gonna work because you can't rotate here. Or if this girl goes here, we're gonna cheat on the backside. Or we can slip this. Yeah, and it, it's it's fun. That's the, that's the part of the game I love. I love you, and I, I love it. I'm with you, man. I I feel like the same way like if there's little things you can do to, to help win the game and if it's in the rules yeah. do it now i understand some people may say that that's not in the spirit of the game I, I i get that argument but here's my point once the once you as a coaching staff have decided that this is our strategy you got to stick behind your head man that's when he needs you the yeah. most when the yeah. booing is happening and people are questioning like that's when he needs the assistant to say hey coach you know we got you because the kids especially with today's kids they're gonna and the, they may not say it but in the back of their mind they're thinking okay is this really gonna work and if there's ever any doubt on the bench and they're not bought in, it's it's going to fall apart. I mean, I've seen it. It's happened to me, you know, um, and it's, it's got to be, I guess the word is copacetic. I think all the way across, everybody's yeah. got to be on board and the kids have to buy in to to that plan. Because as soon as you abandon it, if you don't stick to the script, it's going to, the wheels are going to fall off. It's like driving down the road 70 miles an hour and somebody throws the steering wheel out the window. Now the coach, this, this summer, I was, I had a great time watching the, the, ESPN documentary, uh, 30 for 30 films, dream on of the 1996, uh, women's basketball team, USA women's basketball team. I, I collect jerseys. I actually went out and bought a, a Jennifer Azy jersey. You know, I, so I have a, I have a Jennifer Azy, you know, women's 96 jersey in my collection. Um, but the coach of that, of that team was the very famous Tara Vanderveer, long time Stanford coach. And I love this story I'm about to share. And I can't wait to hear you tell us more about this, but you used to have a, you used to have a routine where every day you would write down three questions to take into your head coaches. You'd come into practice with three new questions. That, that's how many questions you're asking. One year you attended the Houston girls basketball coaches clinic and Stanford head coach Tara Vanderveer was one of the speakers. You had just spent the summer watching her DVD on, on her triangle offense. And so you had some questions for her. Yeah. Tell us how that went. I love this story. Well, it's, it's funny. Um, so the, she was speaking at the clinic, you know, like I, like you said, I just watched the triangle DVD and it was only like 45 minutes. And you yeah. need a little bit more time to explain. And so I had the basic concept down and I never take like um, sheets of paper that have the, the court drawn on it. I always take a spiral. Like, yeah. So the clinic's over and I rode there with the head coach I was working for at the time. I was like, I'm going to ask her a question. She's like, okay, we, we can wait. Like people are leaving the gym. People are saying, thanks so much, coach. Mm -hmm. I was like, hey, Coach Vanderveer, can I ask you a question? Uh, you know, I'm studying the triangle and this and this. And she's like, oh, yeah, I can answer that question. And she snatches my spiral out of my hand and Love goes it. and sits down in the bleachers and proceeds to, like, draw in my notebook for, like, almost an hour. And oh she has to catch a flight to go back to Stanford because it's in the middle of basketball season. She's there to speak. They have games and stuff. And after about an hour, finally, they're like, hey, Coach, um, we got we to go. And she's like, oh, Okay. She's like, well, if you have any, have any questions, just email or, you know, come out, come out and watch this practice. I've never done that. And I've, I've never emailed her, but um, it was just nice that, that she was willing to sit down and snatch up my spiral and, and draw the triangle to a JV coach at, at a program that she has no, no clue about. That was just really great. And I don't know at the time I knew how successful she was. I mean, I knew sure. she was at Stanford, but she's like a two-time gold medalist, a yes. thousand, <laughs> thousand wins, like yeah. the pinnacle of college basketball coaches. And I was just like, hey, do you mind uh, show me about this DVD? 
she's like, yeah, she probably, it's like, this kid is clueless. I love but it. It was, <laughs> it was cool. They tried to shut it, uh, shut the lights in the gym off so he would leave. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, sh- you shut down the gym with coach vanderbeer how many people can say they did that man she and she doesn't even remember that yeah but you now whenever you go back and watch that documentary you can always kind of chuckle to yourself because yeah. you and, and, but kudos that. to her yeah. she she's the she's a, a she she's the real deal i mean to do yeah. that like that that just says so much about her and i see why she was chosen for that prestigious position to lead the U.S. in 96. So there's not a lot of college coaches. I think there's a lot that would do that. And there's a lot that would. Now, one question I always ask coach, you know, we talk a lot of coaching and stuff and I hope coaches listen for sure. I know coaches listen to this. I hope players listen, but I also hope parents listen. Basketball is unique. I think a lot of my parent conversations I had to have in my career came on, on my basketball side of my second sport. And I get it right. There's only five uh-huh. spots. Football, yeah, it's a little spot. easier, right? We got 11 on offense, 11 on defense. We got special teams. Like, you know, there's a couple more spots up for grabs. Basketball yep. is only five. And that bench, everybody's right there. And uh, people can get real long faces on the bench. And parents can start mm-hmm. getting angry. So I'm I'm curious, you know, and I, I, I do broadcasting now, Coach. And there's a couple of things that I can hear in the stands while I'm broadcasting. I, I actually did one of your games. I remember doing one of your games at Wheeler Fieldhouse. And I will say, let me say this. Let me, one one thing. You are a whirling dervish of energy when you coach. I, that's yeah. the one thing I remember. Can you can you just speak to your coaching style? Then I'll go back to my my other question. Yeah, um, I, I mean it goes back to when I first started coaching. You know, I didn't know anything about basketball, so the thing I could coach is effort. Well, yeah. I didn't feel like the kids were gonna get effort if I was just sitting on on the bench. So I was like, come on, come on. I knew it, yeah. a one. I knew a one two one one press, and I knew the flex, and that's yeah. what we did. But we didn't play man. We didn't play zone. We we pressed the whole game, and so. I had to bring the intensity and that's just kind of who I am as a person, you know, ADHD, I'm all over the place all the time. Um, that goes back to playing the bass in the rock band. Um, but just lead by example with energy and going into what you were saying about the long faces on the bench, it, it's as important, if not more important that if you're on the court, you felt supported by your teammates who aren't on the court. Right. It's, I mean, I've had good teams lose games because people on the bench were upset. I mean, I can't think of one specific incident, but I know it's happened a lot. Sure. Like if I, I, totally if I look down and like kids aren't engaged or they're pouting, it just, it just hurts. Like that's your teammate. That's your friend. I agree. It's for your school. Like, even if I tell the kids this too, even if you didn't play one minute or you played 32 minutes and we won, you contributed you did because you were here for practice we have to have you have to be here you have to attend you know you, i scored one point coach and that's all I, and i only got two minutes well how much did we win by one okay you scored the game winning basket oh okay yeah i did that yeah and i tell them all the time you got to be best player on the bench we got to get hype on the bench like we've won games that we weren't supposed to because their teammates were supporting each other and like ah, it just frustrates me you know, I get they, it, Coach. That that was one of my big to. pet peeves too. And you know, Quisha Dickerson talked about, you know, she she I actually got to watch her speak at coaching school this year. I don't know if you were able to to be there for that, but um, she she talked about you know when she goes, I, I'll meet with, I will gladly meet with parents. But, I, I will. Know, I, I won't do it more than once. You know what I'm saying? Like we're not going to continue yeah. to have. I, I will hear you out, but we're not going to continue to have this conversation. And she said a lot of times when parents say, "Well, you're not giving her a chance," and she and she's like, "Every day oh, in trust practice." practice there you go you read you read my mind you said the exact same thing quisha said uh so yeah totally totally think that but going back to my initial question 
Now I hear a lot of the stuff that parents yell from the stands now that I'm a broadcaster and I kind of set up my booth up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the, you know, it, it's, it's kind of constantly questioning the coach or the constant shoot it, shoot it. Every mm-hmm. time their kid touches the ball, it's shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. And I'm just like, man, that is not a team concept at all. If, if the whole mm-hmm. thing, the whole process is just for your, your child to get up 30 shots a game. But I'm just curious your thought on, on anything with parents. Cause to me, when parents do that coach, they're taking away from their kids' athletic experience. I, I think that's a distraction for the students. And you, so you, you've dealt with it a lot more than I have in the basketball world. So I'm just curious, advice you would give to a parent, you know, whether it's the shoot it thing or, or coming about playing time, what advice would you give a parent on how to handle their child to let them have the best possible experience in, in high school? You know, now I, I didn't see this before I was a parent, but now I'm a parent. Everybody wants to, my kid and the best four, right? For yeah. basketball. I want my kid and the best four. Um, but what you have to have to realize is that life's not like that. You know, it's not going to be me and the best four always. And you need to let your kids struggle a little bit yeah. and know that your coaches, your, your kid's coach is putting in hours and hours and hours and spending time with other people's kids instead of their own kids because they love your kid and the game and they yeah. respect that and that they're making the best decision, not for your kid, but for the program. And sometimes that's that's not always the best for everyone, but if it's the best for the program and the program wins, your kid wins. Sure. Yeah, and that makes sense. And, you know, what you said, I don't, I don't know if you've ever met Chris Danzer. She's the head girls basketball coach at Aldine mm-hmm. MacArthur. I don't think she's so. She's another team player alum. And she said something similar. She said she's noticed over, she said, Kobo, if there's one thing that's going to drive me out of coaching, it's the fact that parents nowadays, they, they don't, they're more trying to insulate their kids and not allow them to face any kind of adversity. And it's kind of what you just, it's very similar to what you just said. So are, are you, are you seeing some of that? And then just any last tidbit you can give to parents on on the the advantages of letting them face their own struggles and not trying to save them. Well, I mean, it's, it's hard as a parent to watch your kids struggle, right? And it's hard to watch them fail, but they're never going to learn for when you're not there, when they're older in life to know what to do. Like, you know, like we talked about earlier, you make a plan and you stick to the script. And then if it doesn't work, you don't give up. You go back and you try to refigure it out and you do it again. If it still doesn't work, then you do it again. And you keep doing it until you figure it out because eventually you're going to figure it out. But if you stop, then you lost. Like, that's just, you, you gotta, you gotta let your kid be a kid and let your coach coach. And granted, um, and as I've, I've been a head coach and learned a little bit more, um, the more involved the parents are in the program and understand what you're doing and understand the reasons why you're doing things, it helps. Making that relationship is difficult, making making time just to, to do that. Um, but I think it helps. And so I haven't I haven't done anything like what I believe Katie does. I mean, they sit down, Katie Football, I think they sit down with parents and they watch film after the game, if, from what I understand. I don't know oh, if that's wow. 100%. I don't know if that's 100% true. I, I thought I, I have to heard that, but they explain, you know, what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. Yeah. And so I, I have explained some of the stuff that we do in our program to parents in the past. I'm like, Oh, well that makes more sense. I, so I think just, you're on to something there, coach. And, you know, Carlessa Dixon is another heavy hitter in the area. I'm sure you've heard mm-hmm. of her. She's the head girls basketball coach at summer Creek. She's also yep. a team player, a podcast alum, just like yourself. And one of the things she told me, and this is a unique one, she will bring in former parents into her beginning of the year parent meeting oh that's smart and she actually she picks the ones that were the biggest pains in her butt at the beginning and she was able to win over 
and she has those parents speak to the incoming crop and that's the again like you said with the katie thing that's the first i've ever heard of that so that might be something to consider uh, that carlesa does yeah what i mean just explain like this is the offense we're gonna run like you can disagree with x's and o's but i need your support because if if you don't support me and you're talking about me on on the way home your kid's not going to support me and they're not going to play well and they're not going to be successful absolutely i mean and unfortunately with high school you know you you go where you live with college you can kind of decide where you want to go in the system but i mean we as high school coaches stuff changes all the time and so you know that's that support is super super important um we're doing we're doing the best that we can with with what we have besides basketball we have everything else that goes with teaching these days and now let's let's kind of put a put a bow on the coaching portion and just kind of one last fun story your second uh your second year at marshall you you went you win the uh <laughs> you win the two district coach of the year awards. Oh, you get invited to be a speaker at the Texas High School yep. Girls Coach Association Clinic. Tell us that story, Coach. Man, so it was awesome winning. You know, Fort Bend ISD Girls Basketball Coach of the Year. Well, then summer was coming, and Dina Scott called me and she's like, "Hey, um, we want you to be um, you know, I guess speaker at the at the clinic." I was like, "Okay," and she's like, "Just let us know what you need if you need practice players or you know what topic you want." I was like, okay, I got this. And so when I showed up, I didn't have one basketball drill. I didn't have one basketball offense, no defense, no nothing. I went and actually Coach Campbell from North Shore went right before me. And mm-hmm. she had practice players on the court and they were running drills, transition. Yeah. She's out there coaching basketball, X's and O's. And I was like, oh man, what did I just do? <laughs> so I grabbed the mic and they gave me 45 minutes. And I was like, Everyone and it was right before lunch. I was like, everyone here is gonna get out early for lunch, just so you know. They're like, yeah. I was like, and I'm not gonna do one basketball drill. I was like, I'm gonna tell you my my story, kind of like what we just kind of went over. Yeah. And I just read the book uh, Start with Why and watched the YouTube video and the Golden Circle. Um, and I was like, I really want to talk to you about why you do this. I had a moment of clarity. Sometimes I lose that clarity, but I I read the book and wrote it all down on a on a legal pad, and it made sense. So I talked for like. 15 or 20 minutes about my story why I got into coaching, you know, to impact kids positively and why we do this, and, you know, give, give kids as many chances to be a part of the team. And I'll never forget that Miles was sitting in the front row and she's just sitting there smiling, looking at me. And I was like, okay, I think I'm at the end of this talk. I was like, all right, now have a good time. 20 minutes in walked out. <laughs> it was like, I was like, Oh God, I didn't even do one basketball drill. And I was afterwards, I was like, man, this did, that did not go well at all. I'm probably going to get a call. Like, I was talking about this book. It's like kind of hipster guy. <laughs> I, I never got a call. I did get a call that some people bought the book. But yeah, I guess it's it was uh, looking back on it, it was a funny story to me. That's awesome, man. Deb Mize, uh, now, you know, assistant athletic director. I actually was, I was down at Wheeler this morning uh, talking to Coach Rideout. And I saw Deb and got to wave to her. So just, and she's a basketball legend. Yeah. Uh, in this district oh, so, I should have had her. she was on my list of, of awesome coaches i've coached against th- there you go deb mize for sure and she is on my list i am going to get her into the studio for a team yeah, player podcast episode so i'm working on that coach so i'll definitely get that set up for you or right, let's just towards the end of the show we always like just get to know our coaches talk about favorite teams just kind of you know uh talk about that kind of stuff college sports as we know you're an aggie through and through you're not just a fan you are an aggie for the NFL, you pull for the Texans and whatever teams your fantasy players are on. I yeah. love that. I've also yeah. become a big fantasy football player the past yeah. couple of years. 
NBA. You love watching the Spurs back in the day. Their right. brand of basketball was awesome. So I'm I pulled out the Represent. old uh, yeah, David Robinson jersey for it here, yeah. for your coach out of my collection. Uh, I agree. There's that one famous like you know YouTube or Twitter clip or whatever of them going through their motion offense and just the passing, like just 19 passes in a row or something. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I agree with you. I'm a Rockets fan, so I'm not I'm not a big Spurs guy like as yeah. a fan, but I admire, I admire the heck out of them. That's yeah. how you run a program, first class all the way for sure. Um, and then you said currently you root for the Bucks. I like I like Milwaukee. Well, Chris Middleton went to AM, so that absolutely helps. yeah. Yep, Middleton for sure. And then you like how Golden State runs their offense. I totally agree. Of course, run and gun. And that, that's kind of what I and not to get too off topic, but with when we had our shot to beat the dubs, you know, with Chris Paul and James Harden, like yeah, I'm not a big coach D'Antoni fan because I hated our offense. I hated the James Harden just wait till it's less than 10 seconds on the clock and then start the all. I hated that. It's not so, offense. <laughs> yeah, we, we yeah, I, I agree with you. And the last thing you said, you love how the Heat play defense. I'm a big Eric Spolstra fan. But when I was yeah. a rich boy, a lot of kids said I look like Eric Spolstra. A little uh, so, bit. I see yeah, it. Pretty, I see it. <laughs> so I'm with you. I'm sure. a Spo guy. Um, so we're going to – that's just a little bit of background on your favorite teams there. We're yeah. about to put you on the spot, though. Oh, and Lord. Coach – I'm going to ask you this question. This was not on our show notes, but if you want to, I'm going to give you some time here as I talk about our sponsor. But if you want to, I, I wouldn't mind to hear your top five all-time Ridgepoint girls basketball players. Oh. We've been doing this. Coach Sniffin did the top five all-time football, and we really? had a lot of fun I, with it. So I'm going to buy you a couple minutes. If you can't do it today, no worries. But I'm going to give you some time to think about it as I talk about our sponsor. As always, Start Bench Cut segment is brought to us by the MVP Marketing Group, a turnkey marketing solution for schools. Uh, Denton Ryan, longtime head football coach. Now he's the AD Joey Florence. He's a customer. So if you go to the MVP marketing group website, you'll see a testimonial from Joey Florence. And basically what they do is they're going to help you attract sponsors, you know, partner with local businesses to help pump money into your program. That's what the CEO, Mike Vogler does. He's a good friend of mine. And so just give him a call. Just give him a call. You know, he can just, just talk on the phone, see if it's a good fit. If you decide to do it, he's going to give you a team player podcast discount. All right, coach, did I tap dance long enough? Did I buy you a little bit of time? So not in any order, but absolutely no order. No order. I had a start five. Um did Sniffin really do this? Sniffin did this for football. Yeah. Wow. All right. Um, so at post, I would start Dayla Allen. She graduated two or three years ago. Okay. You know, she was close to a thousand point score over five or six hundred rebounds but season got cut short because of covid we had to sure. forfeit a bunch of games that's the post and is Ag this is this the, the sister of aaron allen by chance or no no, it's not. no, no relation. okay cool um and then so at guard spot i've been blessed to have um really talented guards and so they they're pretty much interchangeable at sure. any point in time everybody played the one um but i have three i need to get another one but these three are top three points um shooting in school history leading score leading assist leading steal wow. um so it would be um Aaliyah Fontenot and okay. Maven Adams they graduated uh, the same year um went on to college programs and then uh, was Aaliyah Fontenot the sister of Austin Fontenot by chance yes okay yes. I coached Austin in Baton Boys okay awesome. very cool very cool yeah Aaliyah was a deadly three-point shooter like yeah um number six in the nation her junior year wow. when we went to the, yeah. went to the regional semifinal and then um, the other guard would be Taylor Thomas. Uh, she's the all-time leading scorer in school history. Okay. 2,000-point uh, scorer. Wow. 18 and a half a game, you know. Incredible. She, I don't know how many game winners she hit in her time here. Probably six buzzer beaters over three years, 97, yeah. eight, something like that. 
Um, and for my other guard, um, I would say a young lady named Jada McHenry. She was um, okay. a, a junior uh, my first year here, super athletic, super great kid. Um, went on to play in college too, but just her personality on the court was the same as it was off the court. And so we meshed really well. Super, I mean, the other team would throw the ball in from the sideline and be like, Jada, take it away. Okay. Still <laughs> going the other way every time. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yep. It's always nice to have someone that can get a turnover on command. That's great. <laughs> Dude, and she was like relentless. She would go try to block a shot and just slam it on the wall and get up, run back the other way. Like, Jada, you're you're gonna hurt yourself and somebody else. Man, coach, if only you could get that starting five all together at one time, you probably could take them all the way to Austin. I had four of them at the same time. Oh, did you really? Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, see, that is incredible. That's the year we were 31 and three and ran to South or into South Creek this in the second round and they were 31 and three oh, when they wow. had the two guards she went to texas yeah it's like why is this the second round matchup yeah but that's when jersey village had the two twins who went to um i can't even think where they went right now but they were 34 and two or something like that it was our our region was stacked that year I was, this is not okay how do we have 31 wins and we're losing in the second round oh man that was fun coach i i love your list do you want to play a little bit of an nba start bench cut or do you or do you want to end on your Ridge Point list? That's end on the Ridge Point list. End on the Ridge Point list. Okay. So this, that, point list. Yeah, that that that's the perfect way to cap it off, man. With those with recognizing those great student athletes there that you had, uh, it, you know, when, when they had their time uh, on Waters Lake Boulevard there. But coach, this has been a lot of fun. If if y'all have enjoyed it as much as I did, please take a moment, give us that five star review. This drives us up the charts so more people can hear these stories of, of coaches making a difference uh, here, like Coach VTech. Hit that follow button to subscribe. You get a new uh, episode in your queue every Sunday at two p.m. You can follow me on Twitter, please, at Coach underscore Covo. That's Coach underscore K O V O. Hit me up on Twitter or send me an email at teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com we lift up our own inside of team player nation so if you got a suggestion send it to me a, a lot of my guests it's just word of mouth it's people it's just us talking saying hey get this person get that person and, and it's we're growing a like a community of like-minded people that are positive and lastly our cover art and music for the team player podcast provided by two of my former players there two former ridge point panther or one of them's ridge point panther kaiser saint Cyr. uh you know you may have coached some of his younger brothers you know through the school there and then our intro and exit music is one more good enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. Coach VTech, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Kobo. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much to all the team players out there for your, out there for your support. And we'll catch you all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head. Lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head. Lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, I'm just fine, I'm good enough. But you be told I need some therapy, and 